Welcome to The Mushroom's Apprentice. I'm your host, Shona Home. Today, I'm going to answer questions on all things psilocybin. I asked a number of clients and friends to send me questions on this subject, and they did not disappoint. So I will take these next two hours to offer my two cents based on the past 12 years of my personal apprenticeship to the mushroom teachers and my nine years of hosting individual retreats. I want to thank everyone for submitting these thoughtful questions, and I hope I can offer some good advice here. So I will start with, what kind of diet would you prepare with before going into a journey? Well, ayahuasca has its own specific food protocol called a dieta. Mushrooms do not. That said, some people like to fast the day of their journey, and that can work for them. It has been my observation that some people who eat a very light breakfast and then journey midday or later, or who skip food altogether that day, find themselves hungry during the journey, which can be a bit of a diversion. I would advise that for either the week leading up to your journey or a few days before you go into the realms, make sure you don't eat foods that you know don't agree with you. And if you drink alcohol, maybe don't imbibe the week before you take your journey. I wouldn't eat anything you don't normally consume right before a journey. For instance, I personally like to have a smoothie or fried eggs and sauerkraut for breakfast. Either of those will work for me the day of a journey, but I wouldn't do a big heavy breakfast that day or try some new supplement. I want that morning meal to be easily digested and my stomach to be calm for the rest of the day. The week before your journey, I recommend eating healthy, nourishing foods that you know agree with you, and maybe lay off the sugar. If you're a coffee drinker, I would suggest not drinking more than a cup a day if possible. I certainly wouldn't drink more than one cup the day of the journey, as the mushroom can be hard on the nervous system, and you don't need a lot of caffeine in there causing further stimulus to your adrenals, etc. There are some people who will abstain from eating red meat the week or a few days before the mushroom journey. That is entirely up to you. If you have a good digestive system and meat agrees with you, then feel free to enjoy it. Maybe you want to eat a lighter dinner the night before your journey and resume meat in a couple of days. This is an individual decision. You know your body better than anyone else. Many people will ritualize their mushroom journey, and often before a ritual, there would be either a fast or a sacrifice of the foods one usually enjoys. So you could create for yourself a ritual diet the week or a few days before, if you like. Maybe you abstain from ingesting sugar, fried foods, caffeine, red meat, processed foods, etc. Maybe you stay with a more vegetarian diet. I would first think about the foods I want to abstain from before the journey, and then I would put together nourishing meals without them. If you plan on fasting the day of, that's great, but sometimes that can lead to feeling nauseous on the mushroom, which is pure hell. That said, there are people who prefer to fast the day of the journey. I would recommend doing a day-long fast once or twice before you do so on the day of the journey, just to see how your body responds. Fasting affects blood sugar levels. And if you're feeling lightheaded and possibly dizzy as a result, 
that is the wrong way to go into the mushroom realms. Trust me. Fasting is obviously excellent for you and not eating parter all the day is fine again, but some people have hypoglycemia and other imbalances that make fasting a little more complex. I do recommend fasting one day a week, just on a regular basis, if you can, and getting your body used to that. I used to do that every Friday for a few years, as that was the day my retreat client would depart. So I saw that as kind of a reset for my body after a week of eating delicious meals. So if you feel called to fast the day of, or even a day or two before, just make sure you know your body and how it responds. Now, I'm a fan of traditional foods because they have an impressive track record of keeping humanity at large quite healthy and sound. Well, something that will serve you very well before and after a mushroom journey is bone broth. There is an old saying that goes, good broth will wake the dead. And that's because bone broth is incredibly nourishing and healing to the body. And it's a staple in the GAPS diet, which is all about healing the gut. I make it in a 20 quart stock pot so that I end up with 12 or 13 quart size mason jars. And then I put those in my freezer and use them as the base in my homemade soups. I also like to drink it straight, especially in the cooler weather. I will often powder the dose of mushrooms and add it to a cup of homemade soup. It's a really, really great way to take them and it will satisfy the stomach for the duration of the journey. After the journey, it's really nice to have either a mug of soup or a mug of straight bone broth with a little unrefined salt in there. That is going to be very restorative to the body after a journey, and it has a soothing effect, which is always appreciated. You could also, by the way, fast on bone broth, so just keep that in mind. Really, we want to lay the groundwork for as comfortable and safe a journey as possible. And of course, that said, we know that you can never predict how a mushroom journey will go, but you can take all the right steps, ensuring that you'll have the support you need. And that includes the foods that you put into your body. The next question ties in with the first, what are some of the best practices for regulating the nervous system after a mushroom journey? Okay, the first thing I recommend after a journey is magnesium. And we want to make a daily practice of ingesting magnesium because it oversees over 800 enzymatic processes in the body. Unfortunately, our soils are deficient in magnesium and just about everything else. So we need to take magnesium daily and that will absolutely support our nervous system so it can regulate the body properly. Magnesium is a natural depressant. It relaxes the muscles among many other effects. And I swear by it after a mushroom journey. If you really wanna geek out on magnesium, I suggest reading The Magnesium Miracle by Carolyn Dean, MD. Now from a study titled Magnesium and Stress, by Magdalena D. Cucciruno and Robert Fink that I found in the uh, NIH's National Library of Medicine, they write of magnesium, quote, the idea that magnesium supplementation modifies the effect of chronic stress dates back to 1981. This hypothesis is certainly feasible given the cation's ubiquitous distribution and role throughout the body. And just to let you know, a cation key C-A-T-I-O-N is a positive charged atom. 
Indeed, magnesium is the fourth most abundant cation in the body and the second most abundant intracellular cation. It is involved in a wide variety of, variety of cellular processes, including aerobic and anaerobic metabolism, all bioenergetic reactions, regulation of metabolic pathways, signal transduction, ion channels activity, cell proliferation, differentiation, apoptosis, angiogenesis, and membrane stabilization, end quote. You can also draw an Epsom salt bath after your journey. Epsom salts are full of magnesium, which will absorb into your tissues, and that will be very calming to the nervous system. Not all supplements are created alike, and many are useless. So I have two recommendations for you. Hakala Labs makes a magnesium that is readily absorbed by the body. It's called MagTab, and you'll find it on hakalalabs.com, H-A-K-A-L-A-L-A-B-S.com. Also, Clive de Carl's magnesium, which consists of three different magnesium salts, and that is also readily absorbed by the body. And his website is clivedecarl.com. Now, I am a big fan of getting your bare feet on the ground outside, if that's at all possible. When you get your bare feet on the earth's surface, you release a lot of charge from your body and you'll receive the electrons from the negatively charged surface of the earth, which will help your nervous system to rebalance and regulate. I also like to have soup that I mentioned earlier made with good bone broth. It's very comforting and it's very soothing after a journey. The broth will support the gastrointestinal tract, which is lined with millions of nerve cells. So the gastrointestinal tract not only digests food, its condition, healthy or not, affects the emotional state. So in terms of the best practices for supporting the nervous system after a journey, ultimately, we want to be supporting the nervous system every day of our lives through proper supplementation. And we need to supplement because our soils have been so depleted. And of course, we want to consume magnesium-rich foods like fermented whole grains, as in sourdough, organically grown nuts and seeds, preferably soaked and dehydrated to remove the phytates. Those will rob the body of minerals. Also fatty fish like salmon and halibut and greens like kale and spinach. So you could have some cooked spinach with a little smoked wild salmon for yourself after your journey. All of that will nourish and ground you and provide your body with what it needs to calm itself. I have always found that protein and fat settle my nerves after a journey. I go into the realms by myself, so I make sure I have supportive foods ready to eat after the journey. And I'm all about settling the nervous system afterward because I've said for years that the mushroom can do a number on the nervous system. So the stronger our constitution is, the better off we'll be. And we build that strength daily with the right foods. We want to eat nutrient dense foods like bone broth, wild caught fish, properly farmed meat and poultry, cultured dairy, coconut yogurts, kefir, sauerkraut, sourdough bread, fruits, vegetables, organic, etc. And by the way, one of my favorite support foods after a mushroom journey is buttered sourdough bread and soup. 
It's nourishing and delicious and grounding. And that is my welcome back to the 3D after mushroom meal. And it really helps to calm the nervous system. And by the way, if you absolutely cannot digest grains, then I suggest seed crackers with hummus or almond butter. And that will give you the good fats and proteins. I will also say quickly that you want to take two to 3,000 milligrams of vitamin C daily. And I would definitely recommend taking that after a journey. Psychological stress, which can happen on a mushroom journey, will promote oxidative stress in the body and vitamin C will totally combat that. So I, I speak a lot to the health of the body because mushrooms can take a lot out of you. We live in a very screwed up culture today where we're conditioned to medicate instead of addressing the actual cause with the right foods and supplements and exercise that will enable our body to bring itself back into balance. And in my experience, the mushrooms have emphasized health needs of my body and the bodies of others I've worked with. And this is a very important component, I think, for those who wanna work with the mushrooms on some kind of regular basis, be it two or three times a year or more, we want our body to be able to handle the potential stress of the mushroom journey. So what we put into our bodies on a regular basis will serve us very well when we enter those realms. The next question asks, what can I do for myself after a challenging journey? Well, you're going to want a trusted friend or practitioner to talk to. So hopefully you either have that person there with you already, or you can access them by phone during or after the journey. Having someone who will listen and soothe you and help you make sense of what happened is the foundation of self-care for a journey, especially a difficult one. There are very helpful herbs you can take that will calm you down. I like to have passion flower tincture on hand. It's excellent for anxiety as well as sleep difficulty. So it will really help to get you calm. I would recommend taking one or two droppers full of passion flower tincture. Valerian is another excellent herb for anxiety, stress, and sleep difficulty, and it helps heal both the nervous system and the digestive system. You can take that in tincture form. And again, one or two droppers full will help you to get yourself calm. Now, kava tea is kind of amazing in its ability to relax you. And that's spelled K-A-V-A. -A. Kava contains kava lactones that affect the neuronal pathways of the central nervous system. It stimulates the activity of GABA, which is an inhibitory neurotransmitter, which reduces the excitability of neurons. And this will bring on a calm, relaxed state of being. Also, one of the key constituents of kava is kawain, and that induces relaxation. So definitely have a box of kava tea on hand so you can brew yourself a cup. Now, you could also take flower essences, like the Bach flower recipes. These are very subtle but effective, and they won't affect your digestion or your adrenals, etc. Bach flower remedies work by supporting the emotional system. The flowers used in the remedies have particular qualities that will help to restore balance and calm to the emotions. It's very easy to take a flower remedy. It comes in a tincture bottle. It's in a water base, there's no alcohol, and you can take a few drops directly from the bottle or you can add it to water or juice. 
There's one remedy that a lot of people know of. It's called Rescue Remedy, and that contains five specific flower remedies that address stress and induce a sense of calm. An essential, and I mean essential, flower remedy to have is sweet chestnut. And I'll just read you the description from Bach, the Bach Flower website. They write, quote, when describing the Bach flower essences, Dr. Bach said that sweet chestnut is the remedy for that terrible, that appalling mental despair when it seems the very soul itself is suffering destruction. It is the hopeless despair of those who feel they have reached the limit of their endurance, end quote. Well, don't you think that sweet chestnut should be on the shelf of every person who works with the mushroom and boy oh boy will that help after a very rough journey so i recommend checking out the flower remedies if you're not familiar with them as they really do work and they're so gentle on the system okay a salt rub in the shower is very helpful after a difficult journey salt is an ancient tool for cleansing bad or heavy energy I would take a handful of that and scrub your body to cleanse away any residue from the journey. And I would use Celtic sea salt to do that or Himalayan salt. Don't do it with iodized salt. Iodized salt has bleach and a number of other things. It's it's really not good for you. So, so use unrefined salt for, for that. Now, if you're able to eat something, then do so. And the previous two questions have addressed that. All of this is going to help you to ground and bring yourself to a state of calm where you can either head to bed and get some modicum of rest. And then after you've rested, you can begin to explore just what the hell happened on that journey with someone who has the ability to go deep into the symbolic nature of that experience. And I do a lot of that kind of exploration with people. It's a godsend after a highly challenging experience. When you do that, you are then able to begin the process of understanding the deeper nature of the experience and how it actually served. All right, the next question is, how do you prepare set and setting to have an optimal outcome? Ritual, cleaning, or babysitter? Okay, in terms of optimal outcomes, we can never know what's going to happen in that mushroom journey but we can certainly prepare for it to ensure we'll be safe and comfortable and well-tended if need be, so that whatever the actual journey experience is, the optimal outcome is that we remained in a safe container and we ended up with everything we needed afterward to nourish ourselves and begin the process of making sense of the journey itself. If you have children, you need to do some advanced planning. It would be optimal to have them out of the house while you're journeying. I have never journeyed while my daughters were home. There would be no way I could relax. I suggest having your spouse or partner or babysitter, friend or relative, take them away from the house if possible. That said, I know parents who've journeyed in the evening after the children are put to bed. So one parent journeys, one parent stays sober and kind of holds down the fort as it were. I think the mushroom space itself needs to be as calming and beautiful as you can make it. When I go into the realms, I prefer to be in my beautiful bedroom, in my comfy bed 
where I can see the framed copy of John Duncan's painting, Riders of the She, which has spoken to me on a number of journeys. I like fresh flowers in the room or potted plants. You'll want water to drink and the ability to close the curtains or shades if you go in during the day. Make sure you have pillows and a blanket or down comforter so that you're not cold during the journey. A lot of people like music. I actually don't. I prefer silence or the sounds of nature as I don't want anything influencing my journey. Now, obviously, there are people who live in cities and music is preferable to sirens and beeping horns. And of course, there is gorgeous music and it can be very enhancing to the journey. If I use music at all, I really like Tibetan bowls because there's no actual melody, just the gently penetrating sounds of the bowls. And that is very transporting. So definitely consider if you want to use music, what do you want to listen to? What is going to, you know, just take you gently in into those deeper realms in terms of ritual and cleaning before the journey as per the question. My late teacher, Dr. Brew Joy used to say, the face you show is the face you get back. Not to say that just because you clean or cleanse and do a beautiful ritual for a mushroom journey that you're assured a beautiful journey, but ritual and the cleaning or cleansing before entering an expanded space brings intention to whatever you're doing. And it sends a message to the deep psyche that we are leaving the mundane. This is a heightened experience, whether it is a psychedelic journey or a fire ceremony or a marriage. We are ritualistic beings. Your morning coffee or tea is kind of ritual. From my first mushroom journey all those years ago to the present, I always do ritual before I enter the realms. And that can be as simple or as elaborate as you decide. So creating a beautiful space, as I mentioned before, is very important. And certainly if you're going to be outside in nature, you will choose the place you'll be in with care. So you'll be safe and comfortable and can enjoy the beauty of your surroundings. You can begin your journey with an invocation where you call in your guides and protectors to surround you. You can open up the four directions in the above and below, call in your ancestors, deities, the nature spirits, etc. I always thank the spirit of my house because every house has its spirit. I thank that spirit for holding such a peaceful energy. And I thank and bless the local spirits of the surrounding land. And I also thank the mushroom spirits. You can have an altar set up in your journey space where you have photographs, crystals, talisman statues, whatever you want to have in the ceremony space. And sometimes if you're going through an emotional uh, space on the mushroom or something challenging is occurring, having a photograph that you can look at or holding one of your talismans, or I just call them your sacreds, can give you great comfort. Now, it's also nice to light a candle, but I would only recommend that if you have another person with you. The last thing you need on a journey is for your candle to catch something on fire. Most scented candles are toxic, but I like just beeswax candles. They smell heavenly or soy candles that are scented with essential oils. Those are really nice. And speaking of that, you could also have a diffuser in the space that is diffusing a beautifully scented essential oil. We often forget 
how intoxicatingly beautiful scent can be. So you might want to consider that. There's also copal, which is tree resin, and that is heavenly scented. And you can have your sitter burn some of that on a charcoal at the start of the journey. And this, by the way, can also be used to smudge the room, which will clear the energies before the journey gets started. And you can certainly also use Palo Santo or sage. And there are even beautiful blends that can be burned that will just give a really intoxicating scent. Now, this question included cleaning, and I think it's important to clean the rooms you'll be in before going into a journey. If you have to use the bathroom during your journey, I don't think a messy bathroom is a good thing, personally. For myself and others I talk to, a mushroom journey is a big deal, and we want to go into that space in a way that is honoring to ourselves and the container itself, the house, and the mushroom intelligences. Now, there are Plenty of folks, obviously, who don't use ritual and they have their journey experience. But for those of us who want to bring attention to it, the ritual piece is very applicable to this. Now, this question used the word cleaning, but I would also include cleansing. And traditionally in cultures around the world, the initiates would undergo some kind of cleanse before the ritual. And that often involved a fast of some kind and a ritual bath or steam, and then specific clothing was used just for the ritual. So this is what I mean by a ritual can be as simple or as elaborate as you choose. You might wanna take a shower or bath before the journey, and maybe you wear white or some other color that is meaning for you. This is your journey, and it's your personal exploration, and you're gonna make it your own. One of my teachers used to say with regard to ritual, just show up, meaning don't do it half-assed. You bring the fullness of yourself to it and you do it with sincerity. So if you feel called to do ritual before a mushroom journey, then by God, do so. And if not, that's totally fine. Okay, the next question asks, Please talk about anything on the week leading up to the journey. I watched a scary movie that infiltrated my mind during the journey. Ooh, that is a very interesting point to consider. I would say that the scary movie obviously imprinted the subconscious as so much of what we watch on the screen does and the mushroom intensified that imprinting. First thing I would do with that is consider what that part of the journey was trying to tell you. Maybe you need to be more mindful of what you take into your psyche. I have never been much of a TV watcher and I stopped watching movies years ago because I just got sick of the social engineering. That said, people enjoy entertainment. So perhaps the week before a mushroom journey, it would serve you well to be very mindful of what you take in on the screen for that very reason. And for God's sake, don't put the TV on when you're on mushrooms. I had a client who told me that she and her boyfriend took mushrooms together and they spent some time outside, which was really nice. Then they went inside and he turned on the TV and they watched Avatar, which she said was very intense on mushrooms. When the movie was over, her boyfriend went upstairs for something and she was still very altered. And an ad came on Netflix for a documentary on a serial murderer. And she freaked out and said it absolutely scarred her. So yeah, don't, don't do that. Also, screens are a portal. 
whether it's a television or an iPhone, you are looking into a black mirror. And then meanwhile, the mushroom opens you up psychically. And I personally do not want to see any screens while, while I'm in those realms. They are ubiquitous enough without enjoining them to your mushroom journey. So be smart about what you take into your psyche before a mushroom journey. This is such a good point to consider. Thank you so much for that question. Now, this question asks, what can one do in preparation for a mushroom journey to assure the journey will uplift and expand consciousness? First, we need to realize that every journey is different. We are engaging an intelligence that essentially takes us over for a certain amount of time and stimulates the psyche in a myriad of ways, which can bring up stored trauma, woundings, anxiety, difficult memories, etc. Sometimes a mushroom journey will just rake you over the coals and wring you out entirely. I have been there. I've joked that if I had a dollar for every tear I've cried on the mushroom, I could have paid cash for my house. Well, that said, preparation is key. So you're going to want to set the stage for yourself. Have a trusted friend or practitioner sit for you for the duration. That really helps you let go when you know that that person is there and you'll be assisted if you need assistance. Create a beautiful setting and, and have a comfy place to lie down, pillows, blankets, everything I've mentioned before. You can get quite cold while on the mushroom. If you're going to use music, you want to choose selections that you find pleasing and don't include any dark, moody music. You'll want to have good water to drink, bathroom nearby, herbs and food put aside for after the journey, and make sure you measure the dose. As Terrence McKenna used to say over and over, and maybe even start with a little less, and you can always add more if you need it. If you take too big a dose at the beginning, you are stuck on that ride for however many hours. And it could turn out to be absolutely amazing or it could be just too intense and uncomfortable. So the right dose is the first order of business and everyone is different with regard to that. Some people are super sensitive and they only need a little bit. So if you're one of those people, then just start with half a gram to three quarters of a gram and add more as you need, as need be. The common dose, and this of course depends on the potency of mushrooms you'll be working with, but commonly one to two grams will get you into the realms. The higher the dose, beyond that, the deeper you'll go. Now, Terrence McKenna said, and I paraphrase, that if you're one of these people who doesn't want to look at that and won't look at this, <laughs> then this medicine is not for you because that will find you at some point if you do the mushrooms enough. Well, Sometimes the first couple of journeys are quite challenging, especially if you're also working with someone who's helping you to dig deeper into yourself and you then go in with those discussions in your mind, or you haven't dealt with something from your past and the mushrooms can stimulate that memory and it can be quite emotional and challenging. The mushroom will often reflect what you've been addressing and or even bring up material that you thought you already addressed with a good therapist, no less. So why did that stuff have to come up? Everyone hopes for that magical, mystical experience that will deliver insights and enhance them in some way. There's no way to assure 
that will have that kind of journey. We can only prepare ahead of time and create a safe and beautiful set and setting. And then in we go to the great unknown. So the honest truth is that we can create a safe and beautiful place to engage the mushroom and we can make sure we either have someone to sit for us or someone we can call after the journey. We can have all the herbs and good food waiting for us at the end. And none of that will guarantee a journey that will uplift and expand consciousness, at least not in the way we would like. Challenging journeys and horrible ones. If worked through after the fact with someone who is really good at making sense of that, and who has an understanding of the deeper symbolism that always accompanies these journeys can offer you the most incredible insight into your deeper inner workings. And that can be life-changing. We've got to remember that we can't get too attached to being in preference when we're engaging what is really a wild nature-born intelligence. All we can do is ensure our personal safety and comfort during the journey to the best of our ability. I see every journey as an initiation. And with an initiation, you prepare as well as you possibly can. And then when it begins, you don't necessarily know what is going to unfold, which is part of the initiation. I am nervous before every mushroom journey. And I've been earnestly working with this medicine, as I call it, for 12 years. It's not a casual thing for me or for most people that I talk to on this subject. Most people who engage the mushroom are seeking deeper. They're looking to heal their unhealed stuff. They're looking for greater insight, for greater connection to the worlds of the seen and the unseen. They're looking for answers to their questions and spiritual connection and knowledge and so much more. I would say at the end of the day that the best thing you can do to prepare the is, is to prepare the container you'll be in and then go into the journey with no expectations. For myself, with every single journey, I simply go in with an open heart seeking wisdom. I think of the mushrooms as medicine and sometimes medicine doesn't taste so good going down, but we have to take it so that we can get better. We learn through adversity and things don't always go our way, including a mushroom journey that we've been hoping would take us to a good place or help us heal that issue. Always ask though, what did that journey teach me? What was it trying to tell me? Where are my blind spots? What am I not seeing or what do I not want to see? This medicine will grow and evolve you over time. That is the power of initiation. Okay, this same person then asked of me, and I know, you know, they were kind of half joking. <laughs> they asked, what is your secret? <laughs> and he put a little smiley face next to it. And that made me grin from ear to ear because I don't have any secrets with regard to the mushrooms, of course. I realized after my first journey that this mushroom is a portal to the spirit world. And I wanted to learn from those spirits. So I apprenticed myself to them and I cultivated relationship with them. And I think that is the key to cultivate relationship with the mushroom teachers. I go into those realms to learn and grow and I've had some very unpleasant experiences over the years and some downright excruciatingly emotionally painful mushroom journeys. And of course, as well, absolutely sublime, extraordinary experiences. I always work with what came through each journey and I endeavor to glean the wisdom and the lessons 
so that I can develop myself on every level. And at the end of the day, this is what we want to do when we work with these substances. The next question asks, what strain of mushrooms do you suggest working with? Well, I have tried a number of strains over the years, but the one I work with most consistently is Golden Teachers. I find that mushroom to be not overly strong, but definitely reliable and effective enough to get you into the realms quite nicely. It's also one of the easiest mushroom strains to grow. I would definitely recommend that mushroom. And it's a great mushroom for those who are new to this experience. Also, B plus is a really nice mushroom to work with, and it's great for beginners too. It takes you into the realms in a very mellow way. It has a soft edge to it. I've also mixed B plus with golden teachers and they are very harmonious together and they make for a journey that is usually an easier experience compared to the stronger mushrooms. But that said, do not underestimate them because both golden teachers and B plus will pack a punch as you go up in dose. I have found with B plus and golden teachers that the experience usually lasts for hours or so, which I like. I think that's a reasonable amount of time. You'll still have what I call a toe dipped in the fairy pool when you come out of it so that you'll feel yourself to be back and you'll be lucid, but you'll still be a little altered for a bit. And that said, if the dose is higher than four grams, the journey will last longer. I find more like five to six hours. If you want to work with a strong mushroom, then penis envy mushrooms are a good choice. And yes, you heard that right. For those who are fairly new to this subject, penis envy mushroom is very strong and it's kicked my butt in the past because I took five dry grams of it when I would have been fine with half that amount. The visuals are intense, both with the eyes closed and opened, and you will be deep in mushroom land with that strain. Now, I recently discovered albino penis envy mushrooms, which are not as intensely strong as their namesake, but they deliver great visuals, but with a softer journey. If you wanna work with a wild grown strain, then Liberty Caps will deliver the goods, but they are very highly potent mushrooms. They're wispy and fragile looking, and you would never suspect them to pack the punch that they do. What I love about this mushroom is that it grows all over Europe, and there is no doubt in my mind that it has been used by European races throughout the ages. The visuals on that mushroom are very strong, and you will be deep, deep in the realms. I took Liberty Caps many years ago, and I took five dry grams, which was totally not necessary, but I, I didn't know. And I thought I died on that journey and I was in the afterlife. It was a hugely powerful journey and I would definitely work with them again, but I would not eat five grams. I would probably eat half of that and that would be a good dose. You could always add more, of course, if you, if you felt you need it. Another strong mushroom that I've worked with is cyanessens. And I was living in the Pacific Northwest when I took these. They grow all over the Pacific Northwest very prolifically in wood chips. So they can be found in parks and near parking lots, etc. You have to be bloody careful when seeking these out in the wild because there are other lookalike mushrooms that will end your life if you accidentally ingest those. So don't be cavalier. 
you really, really need to know what you're picking when it comes to wild mushrooms. I've worked with the cyanessence a few times and the visuals were really intense. And I was deep, deep, deep with those as well. Those experiences lasted a solid six, seven hours. Even then when I was more lucid, I was still feeling the effects for a couple of hours beyond. Now, for those who are thinking of offering mushroom experiences for other people, I strongly recommend you stick with the mushroom strains that are grown indoors. And there are numerous strains to pick from, and you will be assured that you're getting the correct strain. Don't serve wild mushrooms. I mean, I really would be so, so careful with that. And of course, you're going to want to work with those mushrooms, whatever you're serving, before you offer them to anyone else so that you have a really good idea of, of how they work. Okay, the next question is, what if I am sitting for a friend who is tripping and their trip goes dark? Okay, even if this is a friend, I would suggest making darn sure they've never had a psychotic episode and you're gonna wanna know if they've experienced any trauma over their life and what, if anything, they've done to address it. If they work with a therapist, it would be a good idea for their therapist to know they'll be doing this journey and to make sure they schedule an appointment with that person after the fact. I'd make sure they are not taking any antidepressant or anti-anxiety meds, and then make sure they're in a good headspace for the journey. And I would advise everyone who's gonna go into the mushrooms to, to just make sure you're in a good headspace for it, and also make sure you're feeling physically well, because otherwise that can also contribute to a very highly challenging journey, possibly. So you will want to discuss prior to the journey with your friend how it's going to be and what you'll do for them if they go into a challenging space. When someone is in a bad way on the mushroom, it's super important to make that person feel as safe as possible. And you want to reassure them in a soothing voice that the journey will be over soon, as that is a common question when someone is having a difficult experience because they want it over ASAP. Now, even if they are only an hour into the journey, you still want to assure them that it will be over soon. Sometimes it helps to offer to hold their hand which can be grounding for that person and gives them a sense of having a kind of lifeline to the 3D. And sometimes also rubbing the feet gently, always asking permission first, can also help to soothe them. If it's feasible and safe to take them outside to nature, that can also be helpful. And you could maybe take them to a nearby tree and encourage them to put a hand on the tree and connect with it or do that with the ground. It all depends, of course, on what's going on with them, but you can invite them to send their discomfort or their fear into the tree or into the earth, which is a way to ground all of that extra charge they're holding. And often when someone is in an expanded state, they are more amenable to that idea and can experience a kind of kinship with the natural world, which can bring them great comfort and even shift the journey into something that brings them into possibly a very profound experience with the natural world. Talking them through it and assuring them that you won't leave their side can also help to calm them a bit and even shift the situation. You just need to be there to support that person 110%. 
If you're playing music, you might want to switch it to a piece of music that your friend finds particularly soothing. And that would be decided obviously before the journey begins. Sometimes the sound of chanting is very comforting to people. And there are absolutely beautiful recordings of chants by lamas and gurus, etc., that could help shift that person out of their state. You never know what might be just the thing that helps them move through it. But it's always good to discuss the possibility of a difficult journey beforehand and make sure to tell them you will stay by their side and help them through it. And that might be for a couple or more hours. You never know. Now, also, if you have a dog or a cat, an animal can often help someone who is having a bad trip. I had the most amazing cat named Socks, who sadly died a couple of years ago at the age of 17. But that cat never missed a journey. And he brought such comfort and reassurance. These animals have a very special effect on people, which is why they're used at hospice centers. So if you have a cat or dog and your friend knows that animal, it might bring them great comfort and even take them out of the bad trip. I've seen that happen a few times. You can also have a cup of kava tea that I spoke to earlier at the ready for them to sip or chug, depending. That can help calm them down. And same with the herbal tinctures. You don't want them to have their phone nearby. You cannot allow them to call their children or their parents or their boss because they happen to be in a very freaked out state. You'll have to reassure them that their children or their parents are safe and they will be able to talk with them later. Now, if they do have a spouse or partner who knows they're taking the mushroom and that person is comfortable with talking with them, if need be, then you can oversee that if it's been discussed beforehand and you discern that a call to their loved one might assist them. Don't minimize their experience. If they are seeing scary beings, as a for instance, you can coach them if the situation allows and ask them to tell you what they're seeing. You can then coach them to tell the beings to leave or ask them to identify themselves, etc. You can also tell that person to call on an angel or deity or animal spirit to come through and assist them. And that could possibly shift the direction of the journey for them. Almost all bad trips, quote unquote, happen to people who've journeyed alone. There are times during any journey where things can get difficult. And if you don't have someone to talk you through that, you can, you can at times get really spun out and not be able to work your way through it alone, which is why it's so helpful to have someone with you. For those considering doing this work, just know that this is a skill. And if you're honest with yourself and you really don't feel like you can handle a bad trip situation, then don't sit for people. There's no shame in that. Or have someone else with you who does have the ability to handle something like that. You could learn a lot if a bad trip situation develops and you have the good fortune to observe how the other sitter very ably manages that person. This is not for the faint of heart, I tell you. Now, the next question asks, do you recommend microdosing? I don't really promote microdosing. I think an actual mushroom journey where you take a few dry grams and really explore your inner workings can help shift you inwardly in very profound ways. 
Now there is the Paul Stamets protocol that I've discussed on an earlier episode where you're taking lion's mane mushroom and niacin along with the microdose, which is a teeny, teeny, tiny dose of psilocybin. And you can look up that protocol online. I've spoken to people who've microdosed and it has helped them feel more open and optimistic and creative, and it has worked very well for them. I've also had two clients for whom it absolutely did not work. One client has struggled mentally for decades and finally got off the meds for several months and then tried microdosing, which initially helped. And then it sent that person into a dark place and they ended up back on the meds. The other client began microdosing and it opened up a memory of a very traumatic experience from their past. And they actually had a physical response where they lost the use of one of their legs and they had to go through all kinds of therapy to regain their strength. They, that person also went through a kind of spiritual trial through the experience, but it was just mind blowing that the microdosing initiated that. I've also spoken to people who microdosed for a few months and felt great. And when they stopped, it was like they had a massive serotonin drop. So there's a lot more to consider with this. Microdosing and mushrooms have become very trendy and there's lots and lots of information out there. I personally prefer to focus on putting nutrient dense food in my body, supplementing with vitamins and minerals, going for long walks daily, engaging with dear friends and maintaining my connection to God. And then when I get the call to go deep in the mushroom realms, I take a few grams of mushroom and I have an experience that always touches me in some way. That's just me. So I personally not interested in microdosing. I do think it is wise to do further research before just jumping in. And fortunately there is a lot to to be gleaned on the internet. There's, there's a lot of articles on this. Okay, next question says, how do I avoid getting nauseous on the mushrooms? Well, mushrooms can sometimes make you nauseous and there is nothing worse when you're wanting to experience the journey, but you're overcome with nausea. There are some people who get nauseous every time they do the mushroom. And I would seriously consider working with someone else rather than put myself through that every time. So that said, there are ways that will help prevent nausea. They're not 100% foolproof for everyone, but it's definitely good to put that into practice. You want to make sure you've had something light to eat before you go in. So you have a little food in your tummy. If you're going to do an afternoon journey, then have breakfast in the morning and you could then heat up some soup in a mug, powder your mushrooms, take them in the soup, as I mentioned before. Now there is what's called the lemon tech method of mushroom prep, where you measure out your dose and powder the mushrooms in a grinder. And just know that the lemon tech method can make the mushroom journey stronger. So you might want to adjust your dose to about maybe half of what you would normally take you then soak the powdered mushrooms in fresh lemon juice for 20 minutes or so. The understanding is that the lemon juice will pre-digest the mushroom, which breaks down the cellular walls and renders the mushrooms very easily digestible by the stomach. I've also heard that it will convert the psilocybin into psilocin, which is what we end up naturally after our stomach digests the psilocybin. 
But this does it for us, which will then, of course, shorten the time that it takes for the effects to kick in. I brew some fresh chopped ginger in a cup or so of water while the mushrooms are sitting in the lemon juice. And then I dump the lemon mushroom mixture in with the ginger tea. And I turn off the heat, cover it, let it steep till almost cool. And then I strain out the ginger pieces and any little chunks of mushroom and then drink the ginger lemon mushroom tea. Between the ginger, which is good for the belly and will help with nausea and the pre-digested mushrooms and lemon juice, that has a good track record for keeping nausea at bay. Also, the lemon tech method will shorten the duration of your journey. So it will be a bit more intense, but it won't last as long as usual. So I would definitely try that. This next question asked, what is the best day to journey? Well, that is entirely up to the individual. If you are a night person, then later in the day or evening would be great but plan to be up most of the night as the mushrooms can be very highly energizing to where you can feel like you drank a few cups of coffee at the end of the journey. You can finish a journey and be really physically tired, but your mind is fully energized. So sleep doesn't happen for a while and that's not fun. Now that said, taking mushrooms at night can be absolutely magical, especially if you're outside in a safe and beautiful environment. Personally, I prefer to take them around midday and I'm usually indoors cocooned in my bed unless I'm able to be outside in a private natural setting, which is an experience that I highly recommend. I like the midday time because the journey is usually complete by six or seven. So even if I feel energized afterward, I'm not gonna be up into the wee hours of the night. So this is an entirely individual preference and would also depend on the circumstances of the setting where you'll be journeying you might want to experience that sunset on the mushrooms or see the star-studded night sky. So the set and setting may well determine the best time for you to go in. Now, this next question is important. Can I combine psilocybin with other substances such as ayahuasca or cannabis? Well, there are a lot of different opinions on this. I am a purist, and when I go into the mushroom realms, I want to experience the mushroom intelligences. If I'm doing ayahuasca, I want to experience the ayahuasca intelligences. I was blessed many years ago to attend a peyote ceremony in the Native American church. And that medicine gave me a powerful healing. And I was deep in the frequency signature of that particular plant intelligence. For me, it's about cultivating relationship with a specific plant or fungi. And I don't want to blur the lines as it were. So that is just my opinion. I also want to keep myself safe and combining substances doesn't always go well. Now I know there are people who combine different psychedelics, but I think you need to proceed with care on that. That practice has worked for people and for others, it has not. I've spoken with people who combine cannabis with the mushrooms, and those substances can work very well together, but just know that the cannabis will intensify the mushroom experience. And there are stories of people who augmented their mushroom journey with cannabis, and the journey went horribly sideways. There are others who swear by combining mushrooms with cannabis, saying that they feel a harmony between the two and that it enhances the experience. Well, there's no guarantee you're going to necessarily get the desired effect. 
I once took a little cannabis while on a mushroom journey when I was in Belize many years ago, and that cannabis intensified the journey in a big way, which was great, but it shocked me just how much stronger the experience became. Now, cannabis is also used at the end of a mushroom journey by some people to soften the energizing effects of the mushroom, which can help you relax and sleep afterward. Now that said, I've tried cannabis in the past and I had that one experience of combining it with the mushrooms, but I don't really care for it. So I personally don't use it at all. In terms of combining Aya and the mushrooms, there are people who have done so and they've had powerful experiences. And there are numerous others who did so and it was hellacious. I think people get very casual about psychedelics in general, or maybe overly optimistic. <laughs> and in my opinion, we need to tread this path with care and caution. There are people who've had very scary physical symptoms combining different psychedelics, such as dramatic rise in heart rate, vertigo, horribly heightened anxiety, etc. I, I don't advise doing this. And certainly there are many others out there who do this and they have great results and they would advise you very differently. So this, again, it's just my opinion. Now, certainly combining alcohol with psychedelics is not advised. And I remember hearing about bars being set up at Burning Man, which I've never been to, nor am I interested, but that is a recipe for disaster. If you have people combining those two for whatever reason, that is absolutely insane. So use discernment, use common sense, do your research and talk with people who've combined psychedelics and ask lots of questions. For myself, the mushrooms have changed my life in the most beautiful ways. So I don't have the desire to add any other substance to that experience, but this is an individual path. So just walk that path with care. This question asks, should I take a booster? If so, when in the journey do I boost? How long should I wait after the initial dose? And what is a good dose for a booster? So for those who are unfamiliar, a booster is an extra dose of mushrooms. Now, I mostly don't do boosters as I'm usually good to go with the dose I take. But for those who want to extend the peak time or simply realize they need more mushrooms to go deeper, I would recommend taking that booster 60 to 90 minutes after you've taken the initial dose. And that dose, of course, depends on what strain of mushroom you'll be working with, as I mentioned earlier. So just say you're working with golden teachers and you take an initial dose of three grams. You could boost it 90 minutes later with another gram and a half to two grams, say. And that will intensify the journey and extend the peak time of the journey and it will also extend the journey by another hour or so. But again, that depends on, on how much you're taking. Now, if you start with five dry grams, you might boost that with another three to four grams. This depends on how experienced you are with the mushrooms. So go with what you're comfortable with and just be sure to use common sense. So I'm going to finish the first hour here. And I invite you to join me for the second hour at themushroomsapprentice.com, where I will get into questions on mushrooms and brain chemistry, mushrooms in the fairy realm, working with spirit intelligences, and more. Thank you so much for listening. 